Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Come on, put your hands together. Good morning, church. If you were here last week at one of our six Easter services, we just want to say welcome home. You heard me get up here, and I did it each and every single service myself, Pastor Jacob, and we just said welcome home. And here's why, because many of you, it might be your second time here, or maybe your first time. Maybe someone told you about it, and we want to say welcome back and welcome home. But for many of you, maybe you've been away from church for a while for various reasons. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it was habit. Maybe it was your health. Maybe is it you just came back in town and now you want to start going to church. Whatever the reason is, we want to give you a special welcome home. Church, come on. Can we give everybody a welcome home hand? I want you to think for a moment when I say those words, welcome home. Just pause. Because we never sit here long enough to think what even those words really make us feel when we say, welcome home. And the question I have this morning is, why does those two words, welcome home, why does it strike a chord in all of us? Why does it resonate so well with every single person in here? And I believe it's for this very reason. Because God created you and me to be in a home. But watch this. It's not a physical place. Home is not a house. It is a people. It is family. It's family. When we say welcome home, some of you, you think go, your, your mind goes right to a house. It's not a house. Because it's never been about a house, right? It's always about the people that you're around. And whether you like it or not, I know your greatest desire. You say, you don't know me, Pastor. Yes, I do. I know your greatest desire. And your greatest desire isn't to get out of debt, though I know you'd love to do that. I know your greatest desire isn't to have financial freedom. I know your greatest desire isn't to find a mate. I know your greatest desire isn't to have money, cars, a bigger house, nicer things, more boats, everything. I know that's not your greatest desire. Because your greatest desire is just like my greatest desire. And every person in here is to be a part of a happy and healthy family. Amen? Come on. Amen. It's, it's, it's what we're made to do is to be a part of family. But how many know here this morning that family can be a little messy? Am I right? Some of y'all laugh way too hard on that one. Okay. It's messy. Family is messy. Whether we like it or not, family is messy. And, and just because I'm a pastor, I'm telling you right now, my family is messy as well. I, I grew up in a divorced home where my dad left when I was two years old. So growing up, my family was already dysfunctional. I didn't know anything but dysfunction and brokenness. And so family to me just became something that was, okay, which, who am I going to be with on Christmas, on Easter, on birthdays? How many know what I'm talking about, right? Well, stats show that 50 to 60% of you know what I'm talking about. Where you don't really know what family is, you just know what it isn't. And you start associating family with where you are for that holiday and not who you're around or who you're doing life with. 
And, and I know for me, it was just that matter of, am I packing up this weekend or am I not? Am I going or am I staying? You see, family to me, I'll just be honest, family was lonely. Because it just felt normal to operate the way I always operated. Just broken. And when I came to know Jesus when I was 17 years old, and God wrecked my world. He did something to me. But how many know just because you know Jesus and are born again, it doesn't mean your life, all of a sudden, all the problems are gone and everything is fixed. How many would love that? I would love that. Because there's this process called sanctification. It's a fancy word that says you got to walk it out. <laughs> that you got to keep getting better. That though you are saved, you're not sanctified yet. That though you are born again and you will go to heaven, we almost have to start walking like we are living in heaven now. And so there was this process I had to go through. But the problem was when I was born again, I'll just be honest with you. I operated in family the same way I operated when I was broken. Alone. I just thought. You did family alone. I just thought they were people you were around. Yes, I loved Jesus. Yes, I went to church. Yes, I loved God. But I just handled things like I had always handled things. Alone. And I'll be very honest with you this morning. I didn't know what I was missing. Because I didn't have it. And many of you might have that same story in here. Where you came from a broken home. Maybe you right now are having guilt because you feel like you're putting your kids through that. Maybe you feel like you're breaking things up. Maybe your parents divorced. Maybe you were adopted into a great family. Maybe you had an amazing family. That's awesome. But you know your family was still messy. <laughs> because even though, listen to me, family is messy. How many know it's always meaningful? It's always meaningful. In my heart, listen to me. My heart, because I believe God has put this in my heart and in Pastor Jacob's heart, I believe it's been imparted to me that this church be about family and family alone because we believe that's exactly what God is doing in this book called the Bible, is building and creating a family. And 23 years ago, when Pastor and Jacob and Miss Michelle set out to start Our Savior's Church. It wasn't about how many campuses. It wasn't about how many people or how many services. It was always, how can we create family here? Because they knew, and Pastor Jacob knows what I know. We know what we know. It's that we have broken families. And the only way to get it right is to get with God. Amen? And to do it God's way. To be in spiritual Family, Because I've heard Pastor Jacob say it a million times. The church at its worst is a business, but at its best, it's a big old happy family. <laughs> and isn't that the truth? And my hope, our hope is in this series called Welcome Home, that you would begin to see and feel welcome home. Our hope is is that you would join us on a journey to rediscover, to redefine family. Listen to me, not the way that we have seen it or experienced it, but the way that God sees it. Because then and only then can we truly find what we are all missing, which is spiritual family. Because here's, here's the truth. God created family. You and I didn't create family. 
The government didn't create family, no matter how they try to define it or put rules on it, right, or regulations. Marketing companies and advertisement agencies didn't create family. So you, you, you think about it, like car makers didn't create the family van, which made the family, right? It's minivans, and if you're a minivan driver, God bless you, we all love you. But think about it, God created family. Because if you look at the Bible, you would sit there and say that this Bible, many of us think this Bible deals with sin and how to get out of sin and helping us with sin. And yes, that is partly true. But if you go back to the beginning, and this is always crucial, the law of first reference, go back to the beginning, you can see that God begins to deal with something way before he deals with sin. And if you know the story in Genesis chapter one, you know that God is creating. He's a creator. In seven days, he's creating and he's resting. And he's creating Adam and all the animals and all the land and the earth and every heavens and the earth and everything is wonderful. God is creating. But in Genesis chapter two, God runs into a problem. And in Genesis chapter two, here's what God says. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And every man said, amen, come on. You see, God was creating family and he goes, whoa, we got a problem here. Because the first problem in the Bible wasn't sin. Listen to me, it was solitude. The first problem in the Bible wasn't sin. It was solitude. God said, I've ran into a problem. I'm trying to create family and I want Adam, but we need someone else. Because I'm not just trying to create something so I can go back and deal with sin. I'm trying to create family and I'm trying to create something that will sustain, that will give life and meaning to Adam and those that come after him. And so you know the story. Adam falls asleep. God puts Adam to sleep, takes him out of a rib. He creates Eve. And then Adam looks at Eve and says, whoa, man. And that's where we get woman from. <laughs> it's not true. Please don't ever repeat that again. But think about it for a moment. The first thing the Bible addresses before the devil shows up in Genesis chapter three, God faces an issue, not with sin, with solitude. Because you and I were never meant to be alone. You and I were never meant to be away from family. We were always made and designed for family because the devil enters in in Genesis chapter three and he fools Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve disobeys God. And from that disobedience, sin enters the world, and it separates us, and it shatters the family that God created. And then all throughout this book, it's God's plan and purpose. Watch this, to come back and restore what was lost. Not religion, not a church building. Listen to me, family. He came to restore family. Because we were made for family, fellowship with God and fellowship with others. It's why the psalmist describes God as this in Psalm 68. It says that he is a father to the fatherless. Take heart in that. That he's a defender of the widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. 
God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. He's a father to the fathers. Every father has a family. Let that sink in for a moment. You're going, wait. Every father has a family. And if God is a father, then guess what? That makes us his family. And if God is my father and God is your father and your father, well, then that makes us brothers and sisters. Amen. That's why some of y'all call me Brother Chris. I get it. But think about that for a moment that God is establishing, recreating, restoring this beautiful family unit. And family is not a good idea. Listen to me, it's God's idea. It's been his idea since the very beginning. And the reason that you know that family is super valuable, listen to me, is because if something is valuable, the enemy will always attack it. You can write that down. It's a pattern of the enemy. If it's God, guess what? The enemy's gonna distort it, pervert it, manipulate it. And what has he been doing? Even over this past 50 years, he's been perverting, distorting, and manipulating what? The family unit. And then he throws addictions in there and it breaks families apart, shatters hearts. Then he throws infidelity in there, breaks families apart, shatters. Then he throws pornography in there, shatters people's hearts, destroys marriages, destroys the family unit. And then the government tries to step in and tell you what marriage is when the government never defined what marriage was. God always defined it. Always. And the enemy knows this. Listen to me. The enemy knows that if he can skew your view of family, then he can keep you from the very thing that you and I were made for. He can keep you from experiencing everything that God had designed you to be. But there's good news. Because even though the enemy is working, watch this, the enemy hasn't won. That's why last week we celebrated on Easter and we celebrate even today as we sang, our God reigns, that Jesus sits on the throne. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to redefine and restore family in a way that challenges the family and our understanding of what spiritual family is. So the question you may be asking is, Pastor Chris, what is spiritual family? Well, Jesus in Mark chapter three gives us a very clear picture. It's not a mystery of what spiritual family is. And in Mark chapter three, you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all biographies essentially of Jesus telling about how Jesus walked Talk, slept, what he did, who he, who he was with, who he did miracles for, who he spoke against, what he spoke for. And so these are all biographies of Jesus's life that we pull together. And in Mark's account of, of Jesus, we see that Jesus is doing what Jesus does. He does miracles, casting out demons. He's appointing disciples like, you're my disciple, you're my disciple, you're my disciple, right? And, he, and now the crowds, he's becoming rock star Jesus, superstar status. Now the crowds are beginning to follow him. But then he enters a house and he begin. I love what Jesus does, is in the home, he begins to redefine what family is. Here we pick up in Mark chapter three. I wanna show you to you how he's defining spiritual family. Mark chapter three, starting in verse 20, it says this. Then Jesus entered a house and again, a crowd gathered. They're gathering all around. They're just calling it the crowd, the people who followed him. They want to hear from him, want to see him do miracles. 
so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. It was so crowded, the disciples couldn't get any gumbo. That's all they could. Verse 21, this is it. This is where it turns. When his family, whose family? Whose family? His family. Jesus' family. Look at me. Jesus had a family. He wasn't some weirdo, lone, loner guy out in the wilderness doing his own. He had a family. He had a mother and brothers. He had a family. His family came to him and heard about this. And they went, listen to this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind right now. Okay, if your family thinks you're crazy, you're in good company because Jesus is right along with you, okay? Think about this for a moment. Jesus' biological family thought he was cray-cray, right? They thought he was bonkers. And they're there and they're going, we need to get a hold of Jesus because he's out of control. He thinks he's the son of God. Now, Mary, she knew he was the son of God. I just think she's being a mama trying to help him. Like, it's not your time yet. Stay with me a little longer, right? But Jesus was doing, living such a radical way compared to the regular Jew in that time that his family goes, we need a family intervention. How many of you had a family intervention before? Don't raise your hand. Come on, we're in church. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They said, we need to intervene. We need a family intervention because you are crazy. He was living such a radical lifestyle that they said, something must be off in you. We need to go challenge that. We need to go take charge of you. We think you are out of your mind. And it begs the question, do other people ever look at the way that you live and think you're crazy? Watch this. Is your faith so radical, being a believer in Jesus, that they question why you're giving? They question why you don't watch movies like that. Why you don't go to that same place that they go to? Are you living in such a way that it's so radical that all of a sudden people are going, hey, how how come you don't cuss like we cuss? How come you always call your wife and say, I love you? Why do you always do that? And they begin to question and saying, you're living such a radical life. And then they jump down to verse 31. And we see it really all hit the fan now. Verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers, they arrive at the house and they're standing outside of the house. They can't even get into the house. Jesus didn't even save them a seat. It irritated them, I'm telling you. And so they sent someone inside to call him, to call Jesus. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. They're saying, come see. <laughs> They're going, hey, come, come see. Mary's looking for you. You got your brothers. They're all there. They're outside. Now, traditionally in the Jewish culture, you would get up right away because family was everything. And I think down here, we know that family's a big deal. Amen? It's a big deal. So watch what Jesus does. I love what he does. Who are my mother and my brothers? I can imagine the crowd sitting there so confused right now. They're like, those outside, aren't they? Watch this. Jesus is setting him up to redefine family. Here's what he says. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him in the house, and he said, here, here are my mother 
and my brothers. Listen to this. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus wasn't trying to disrespect his family. He was trying to teach them something. Think about it this way. It's the equivalent of my wife, Michelle, trying to get in here as I'm preaching and they're holding her back because there's a big crowd. And, and, and they call out and they go, hey, hey Pastor Chris, your wife, Michelle, is back there and, and she wants you to come there. And I said, who is my wife? <laughs> you all are my bride and wives. You know in your right mind, you get up and go, see you later, I'm out of here right now. <laughs> Think about it for a moment. It, it sounds crazy. It sounds radical. But to the first century Jew, that would have flipped their mindset of what they thought family should be about. Because in the first century, a Jewish, in Jewish culture, your family was your identity. It was what you did for a living. It was how you ate. It's who you take care of. It was everything. Your lineage was huge. And so in this instant, Jesus began saying this, that in God's family, your last name, your lineage, your heritage, your parents' faith, what church you're a member of, how you were brought up in church, how many services you attend a year, how religious you think you are, what your background is, your past, whatever happens does not make you a part of God's family. He's redefining family in a way that we've never seen before. And saying, you think it's because Abraham is your father because he's the father of all faith. But he's going, that's not what family is. And because, listen to me, because Jesus isn't establishing a religion or a physical building, he's creating a family. What Jesus did was go ahead, go back to the beginning and redefine what the father said family was. And it wasn't about blood. Look at me. It's always been about spirit. always been about the spirit. So when Jesus came to establish a church, he didn't all of a sudden say, I want you to have four walls. When there are four walls, I want you to have pews. When there are pews, I want you to bring the people in. Then and only then will there be church. No, no, no. Church started in a house on a dirty floor with a few people that said, how do we know Jesus? Because it's never been about the building. It's always been about the people. It's always been about the spiritual family that we are a part of. And this is what I want. This is what we as a church want for you. Listen to me. We don't want church membership or attendance. We want you to be a part of a family. It is what I was missing for so many years. It's what many of you have missed for so many years. And our hope and desire is that we hear the words of Jesus and we see exactly what he wants us to do. I want to give you three, three crucial aspects of spiritual family and then we'll close this morning. Number one, write this down. Spiritual family is experienced only through placing your faith in Jesus, listen to this, and being planted in his house. It's only experienced through being, placing your faith in Jesus and being planted in the house. I know that sounds kind of redundant. Okay, we get that. Why is that important? Listen to me. Because you can believe that you're a part of a family, but you have no father attached to it. 
What does that mean, Pastor Chris? It means many of us are searching for family in a softball league, in a football game, in a basketball game. Come on. And hey, I'm, I'm a proponent of all that. Some of you are searching for a family in military. Family is not defined by what you do. It's defined by who is your head. And that is the heavenly father. As Jesus said it, and Jesus made it very clear. He made a divine, absolute statement about what it means to be a part of a family. And so when other religions try to come in and go, yeah, we all worship the same God. No, we don't. Here's why. Because Jesus made a divine statement in John chapter 14, verse 6, where he said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one has access or comes to the Father except through me. So the only way that we can experience spiritual family isn't by attending a service. Listen to me. It's by placing our trust first in Jesus and Jesus alone. Because if God is the father, then we're all brothers and sisters. And we can move in the same direction to expand the kingdom of God and bring heaven everywhere we go. Because he's given it to us in our hearts. That's what spiritual family starts with. But how many of you know experiencing spiritual family isn't just from knowing who your father is? <laughs> many of you know your father but have not known your father and you haven't experienced real natural family. We don't just do it then. We have to then be planted and grounded to allow ourselves the opportunity to experience spiritual family. Now, let me pause for a moment and take a step back. For some of us in here, that, those words spiritual family just sound maybe a little funny, maybe foreign. I want to relate to you because eight years ago when I moved down here, that term spiritual family started coming up. First time I heard it was Pastor Jacob. He started using spiritual family. I'm not going to lie, it sounded a little weird to me. My face was like, really? Spiritual family? What is that? Like, Sounded a little cultish, a little religious, a little weird to me. And I was like, this is a little funny right now. And then, then I experienced something because then I began to, uh, I was in the church. I began being a part of the church. And so I began to hear the lingo of the church, which was, I heard grown men say to other grown men, I love you, man. Love you, man. And I was like, what did he just say? Does he know him? Nope. Doesn't really know him. Love you, man. Love you, bro. I'm like, oh, God. I was so weirded out by it the first time I heard it. And listen, the dysfunction wasn't in the saying. The dysfunction was in me. Because I only reserved love for family. I said it to my mom, my dad, my brothers and sisters, my wife, my kids. But I'm not going to say it to this random stranger out in the lobby of our sanctuary, right? Who is this? Love you, bro. Okay, man, love you. Well, sometime, one time somebody said it to me and I'm, they're like, love you, man. I'm like, you as well, and also with you. <laughs> also with you. I don't know how to respond to those things. I, didn't, I was insecure about that. Spiritual family, I didn't know others. And then I heard this term, man of God, thrown around. Hey, man of God, man of God. And if you've been around here OC long enough, you know that that's like a term of endearment. It means like we love you. Hey, man of God. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks, hey. <laughs> Literally didn't know how to respond. Because watch this, it wasn't my preference of how I wanted family done. Listen to me. 
If you're only looking for your preference, you're going to miss where God wants to plant you. That's why so many people, I, I love seeing people walk in for the first time to our church. Many of you were, were raised just like me, maybe in a more of a, 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 a religious background. And it was a little more uh, humble and, and different ways of, of worship. And you walk in and it's, it's rock guitars, you know. And you walk in, you're like, this, the rock is just too much for me, you know. Or the music's so loud right now. Or, 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 or many of you are like, I'm just so holy. I just want to just worship with just voices like the angels do. They don't have any instruments, you know. And you walk in, and, and, and that's preference, and that's preference, and that's preference. And then you walk in, and you go, I just don't prefer the guy standing up there that always talks about his Super Bowl ring. All he wants to do is talk about his Super Bowl <laughs> ring, you know. It's just like, does he even love Jesus? He loves his Super Bowl ring more, you know. And I do love it a lot, but still. It's not the point of family. But that's all preference, right? Or some of you are the other way around. I don't like the tall Mexican. He's just weird to me. He's, just, he's always pointing his finger and doing this with his glasses. Like, like some, It's all preference. And if we're not careful, we're going to sacrifice planting for our preference. But you cannot experience spiritual family until you are planted in God's house. You ever, I have no green thumb, but I'm telling you right now, if you move the same plant time and time again, what ends up happening is it, it stays small and unfruitful. And eventually it will die. Because listen, what I experienced here was I decided to plant, even if it wasn't my preference. I decided to plant because I wanted to be a part of something that was about family and family and God's family alone. And I ex finally experienced family for the first time a year into being here when my son was born premature six weeks. He stayed in the NICU for 24 days where each day felt like a year. And I didn't know what I was missing until I found it. And during one of the darkest times of me and my wife's life, before our son came home, where we were struggling, praying, every single day, Pastor Jacob would pick up the phone and say, how you doing, man of God? I'm gonna pray for you. I've never had that before. I would have pastors come and pray with us that we didn't know very well. I had church members that were here that would come and just love on us. We had so many people drop off so much food. It was ridiculous. We had people watching our two other kids at the time that we didn't even know, but because they were spiritual family, we trusted them. And you don't experience family until you begin planting within this family. But some of you are so terrified, listen to me, of getting hurt. And I get that. Look at me, look at me right now. I'm sorry if your family hurt you. I'm sorry that the people who were supposed to protect you ended up hurting you. I'm sorry that maybe the church that you went to last offended you in some way. But 
But family, listen to me, will always hurt you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But here's what I want you to understand. Everyone is going to hurt you. You just got to decide what relationships are worth hurting for. You got to decide right now and then that the guy on stage is probably going to offend you in some sort of way, shape, form, or fashion. And if you're not offended from time to time, you're getting too comfortable probably. But you have to choose to plant in all cases because guess what? Not only do you need it, your, your family needs it. Your kids need it. They need to know that it's not about church hopping, that it's not about sitting there listening to a podcast. We're gonna call that church. No, it's done by doing family, doing what God is. A service is not a family. It's just one part of family. It's like the dinner table where you come together. It's like the TV where you watch it together. It's the board game that you gather around. You see, family is multifaceted. So we can't relegate family to once a week. And if we do, what ends up happening is that we have very shallow roots. And the, the question that I get a lot is this. Listen to me, this is big. Well, Pastor Chris, can I be a Christian without being planted? Like I can still go to heaven, right, Pastor Chris? Like I'm still going to heaven? Just wanna know, am I going to heaven? Can I still be a Christian even when I'm not planted? Yes. Yes. But you won't be a growing Christian. You'll remain as you are. You will not be a growing Christian because after you are planted, it is a natural tendency to begin to grow. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 92. It says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall what? Say it louder. Flourish in the courts of our guard. That's why, number two, write this down. Spiritual family is the context where growth and transformation takes place. God does, wants us to flourish. He doesn't just want us to be faithful. Watch this. This is maybe a new term for a lot of you. He wants us to be fruitful. And when you are fruitful, watch this, you are being faithful. When you are being fruitful, you are being faithful. And the only way that you can grow fruit is to be divinely placed, to plant. And when you are divinely placed and planted, watch this, you get divine relationships. And divine relationships, I'm going to go through these quick, give you two things that are absolutely necessary if you want to be a child of God and want to walk with Jesus. It's these two things. You get exposure and you get encouragement. You get exposure and you get encouragement. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Chris? Well, think of exposure as this. Exposure is those things that you bump up against that you all of a sudden go, ooh, I didn't like the way that looked. Let me hide myself. It's those things inside of us that never come out until you're around family. Come on, somebody. It's like, it's like you parents are wondering why your kids act a certain way, like so nice at school and at church, they're carrying their hands like this and then they get home and they're wilding out everywhere. And I asked my daughter, I was like, why are you acting like this? She goes, because I'm, I'm around family. I was like, okay, well, you're acting crazy. <laughs> and she's like, because I'm around family. You act differently around family. It exposes things inside of you that watch this, you don't want to deal with. I love seeing people go through our freedom small groups 
where you break off hurts, habits, and hangups that you didn't even know you had. And God, the Holy Spirit, begins bringing things up all of a sudden through scripture and through family that you had never dealt with before. And at the conference, you deal with different subjects. And I love it when people go, I didn't even know I had a problem with that. <laughs> I'm like, because it won't come out and it won't be exposed until you're with family. It's exposure. I've grown so much just being around Pastor Jacob. Pastor Jacob doesn't have to call things out of me. Watch this. Every time I'm with him, God begins to expose things in me. Why? Because I'm planted. And when I'm planted, I begin transforming into something that is new and different. And God wants to get rid of the dirty, nasty parts of my heart that he goes, I need to refine that in you. But he doesn't just expose, he encourages. Family is about encouragement. It's like the watering of the plants. It's nourishing and help you. It helps you move forward in your new faith. It helps you have courage in times. It helps you serve your wife, men, and die for your wife as Christ died for the church. It helps you serve her in a way that you haven't had before, where it's been all about your needs. Now it's about her needs. It challenges you, waters you, grows you to new heights you've never grown before. It allows you to say yes to opportunities you've never said yes to. You've been scared to. It could be joining our serve team. Like, oh, I can't serve. I can't open a door. Do you know how hard that is to do this? That's going to take like all of my day, like an hour or so. But it's going to challenge you to new heights, to become something new. Watch this, because then your spouse looks over and go, are you talking about God? That was weird. <laughs> are you praying for us at our meal? That's weird. You do, start doing things you wouldn't normally do. Because there's encouragement when you're planted in a family and you have spiritual family. And that encouragement will sustain you in seasons. When you go through the storms, when you go through the amazing sunny times, when you go through the mountaintop experiences, it'll ground you there so you, we don't get too lofty and think we're good enough, but it'll also lift us up in the valley when we feel like we have nobody with us. It's spiritual family. And number three, write this down. The third thing is this, and we're closing. Spiritual family is about moving in obedience to God's will and God's word. It's what Jesus said at the end of Mark chapter three, which we just read in verse 35. It says, whoever, whoever does God's will, whoever, whoever does God's will, does God's will will, does God's will, is my mother, is my brother, is my sister, is me, is with me, is my family, whoever does my will. So now Jesus just flipped the kingdom of God on its head and said, you think family is last name and heritage, but family now is defined by movement, not maintenance. It's defined by, am I obeying what God is commanding me to do? Am I willing to lay down what I want and say, God, what do you want right here? For me to de deny my needs and to say, God, you, you, you're going to provide all my needs. 
Well, I don't want to wake up this morning and go to church. I don't want to go to a small group. I don't want. We now get a chance to lay down our wants and change them into I get to. I get to be with my spiritual family. I get to celebrate God in his house. I get to go and do life with other people who are broken and shattered just like me and just need other people to help keep walking. Because simply put, movement is just taking your next step. We say that so much around here, like it's common knowledge. It's just taking your next step. Wherever you are, whatever that means, not everybody's at the same place, but it's just taking, whether it's a macro step of faith or a micro step of obedience, it does not matter as long as it aligns with God's will and God's word. And you might be going, well, Pastor Chris, that's the problem. I don't know God's will like you know God's will. I'm trying to figure out God's will. Can I make it super simple for everybody in here? I don't believe that Jesus came to make Christianity confusing. And here's what it means to be in God's will and to do God's will. Everybody ready? You can take this to the bank. What do I need to do, Pastor Chris? To be in God's will and to do God's will. Watch this, look up. Just follow Jesus. Well, yeah, I know that. I know I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but like, what do I need to do? No, no, no. Do what Jesus did. But, but Jesus is the son of God. I'm not the son of God. Listen to me. What Jesus modeled, Jesus meant which means this, I want to love people the way that Jesus loved people. I want to speak to people the way that Jesus spoke to people. I want to hate the things that Jesus hated. I want to lift up the people that Jesus lifted up. I want to come alongside the same people that Jesus came alongside. I want to be and do what Jesus did because what Jesus modeled, Jesus meant. It is the only way that you are in God's will when you are obedient to his word, following Jesus. It is not complicated. We just make it complicated. And Jesus said, you're defined in my family by obedience. Now listen to me now. Obedience doesn't start your relationship with Jesus. Faith does. But obedience is a sign of your faith. Obedience doesn't start your relationship with Jesus. Obedience is just a sign of your relationship with Jesus. You know, I've counseled a lot of people over the years and I've never met one person, not one, not one, not one, not one, not one. Never met one person that said, I regretted being obedient to God's word. Never one. I've never met one person that said, I regretted tithing each and every single month. I've never met one person that said, I've regretted coming to church service because it was life. I've never heard once somebody say, I regret being obedient to what God wanted me to do. I've always heard the opposite. I wish I would have known this when I was younger. I wish I would have done this earlier. I wish my kids could have seen me take a step of obedience earlier. Because listen to me. 
our kids are living in a world that we have never even had to imagine to live in. And they will be challenged in more ways that we have ever been challenged before. And they're looking to you and to me to say, are we gonna be radically obedient to what God says to love him and to love others and move in a direction that is away from the world and towards God because they are watching that because one day I believe my kids will get a call from God, that your kids will get a call from God. And they might say, go to Africa. And they might say, go right down the street. And they might say, go pray with this woman who is in a grocery store who is crying. They might say, go pay for this food that this person couldn't afford. They might, God might send them someplace radical or someplace simple. But what matters is, are they willing to hear the voice of God and the will of God and then step out in obedience because they saw their mom and dad do? that they sacrificed preference for obedience, that they saw what spiritual family was, that we move in unison on one voice, one accord with our Father in heaven to expand the kingdom of God to help others. I believe that day is coming. I want to be an example for my kids. I want to be an example for my kids.